Welcome to episode 15 of the Mosin at Large podcast. Inspired by last week, we talk about more crazy lines in Christmas songs or crazy themes in Christmas songs. Linguistic pet peeves keep making an appearance and aunt telcos hard to deal with sometimes. Mosin at Large Jonathan at MushroomFM.com is my email. You can attach an audio clip to that email or just write something down. And you can call the listener line in the United States, 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-606-6736. I hope you've had a good week. Last week on the show, I talked about what might be a bit of a series during this season. Ridiculous lines in Christmas songs, or indeed ridiculous Christmas songs, full stop. And I made the point... That holy infant so tender in my orders a ridiculous line in Silent Night. <laughs> and, of course, Silent Night has an interesting history about it. It was translated from the German, you know. And what happened was there was this crisis in this little church in, I think it was Austria, actually, because I remember this came up a few years ago when we talked about the history of Silent Night. And I think I said that Silent Night was written in Germany and then a number of people contacted me and said, I was castigated, they said, Jonathan, you are. So anyway, I'm pretty sure it was Austria. And the priest turns up to this church in Austria, let's assume that it is, and he tries to get everything ready for the church service for Christmas. You know, all the punters come in on Christmas And unfortunately, the organ has exploded or something. It's not working anyway. So the priest said, oh, no, what shall we do? This is nicht sehr gut because we don't have any organ. How are we going to play all these carols? So then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll write one myself. So he wrote Silent Night pretty much on the spot so he could play it on his guitar. He got out his guitar and he wrote, he sang Silent Night. And Christmas was saved! Saved! So I'd be very interested to know from any of our German-speaking listeners whether Holy Infant So Tender and Mild in the German version is as ridiculous as the... <laughs> English line. Anyway, this week, of course, it's the old chestnut little drummer boy, and I did just have a check on the countdown page. Now, some people have voted for the David Cros- uh, David Bowie Bing Crosby version of Peace on Earth, Little Drummer Boy, uh, but nobody's actually voted for what I like to call the rubber bum song on its own. The rubber bums, the rubber bum bum. It's such an interesting song. I'm, I'm on the Christmas party circuit at the moment. So I'm going to these various Christmas parties and um, it's quite interesting going to Christmas parties in this gig because people give you all sorts of interesting gifts, you know. And I was sitting around a table of people on Friday and I did my little soliloquy about what a ridiculous song Little Drummer Boy actually is. I mean, can you imagine? And if you either have been in labour yourself, and I have not, I hasten to add, I have not been in labour yet, but... uh, You know, if you have or you've witnessed someone you love being in labour, which I certainly have four times, then you will know it's, you know, when you've been in labour, it it turns some quite reasonable, sweet, angelic people into complete nutcases. 
and understandably so, from what I can gather. So I'm not uh, I'm not hating on anyone for going quite ballistic and strange. And you know, I remember one time uh, when one of my kids was being born, uh, Amanda said to me, "You did this to me! You did this to me! You!" And she was very upset. So yeah, so okay, so she's been in labour. Mary's been in labour. And, uh, yeah, she's given birth to this baby. And what's more, they couldn't even do it in decent accommodation. I mean, she's out in this manger. Out there in the stable, there's like cows mooing and, you know, methane. Methane! Lots of methane. Okay, you've got to picture the scene, you know. Methane. And, and hay and, you know. Yeah, it's not, not the best of surroundings to be in labour. But anyway... And the baby's born, and no doubt the baby... I mean, I, I realise that this is no ordinary baby, but still, it's probably crying, and it you know, needs feeding and changing, and I mean, because it, it's still a baby. And then, what do you get? This kid coming on with a drum. Hey, Mary, I hear your baby's born. I'm going to play my drum. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's a very strange song, that little drummer boy. And it's strange how people don't actually intellectualize this, the, the, the consequences of this kid turning up to a stable where this poor woman's just given birth and then he's sitting there banging on his drum. It's an extraordinary thing. Hi, Jonathan, it's Tiffany. I'm catching up on some... Episodes of the Mosin at Large podcast with Tiffany. my new iPhone 8 Ooh. until I can get Wi-Fi. And so far, I really like the 8. I've noticed the speaker sounds a lot louder than the ones in the 6. Um, in episode 12, you were talking about grammatical pit peeves of sorts. And there are a few that drive me crazy for whatever reason. For some reason, my grandpa would say... Like, if you used to be able to do something, instead of saying, I used to be able to do that, he would say, I used to could. I have never heard <laughs> anyone else say that. I haven't heard it before <laughs> or since, but that was something he said. Another one that drives me crazy, and people say I'm weird for it, maybe so, is when people will be, or somebody will be texting you, and they'll start the conversation with the word, hey, kind of like your example of politicians or people doing interviews using the word so, except for with the word hey. And for some reason, it just drives me up the wall. That's the one thing that, for whatever reason, drives me crazy. So those are just my opinions on grammatical pet peeves. And I had a question for you about Apple TV+. Plus. I tried it back last month, I believe it was, when it came out. On my 6S I had at the time for the free week trial, and I really enjoyed it. And I've heard that if you get a new iPhone, you get a free year of Apple TV Plus, from my understanding. And my question is, do you know if you have a phone that instead of buying it from the Apple Store, you got from the phone company, does that still apply, or does that make any kind of difference? I've asked a couple other people that are not sure about it, so I figured it was worth asking. I am the question repository of last resort. 
Hey, Tiffany, thanks for your message. Don't be a bozo. We never used to say hey like that. Uh, But then I noticed it creeping in in the States a few years ago. I remember hearing it on CNN for the first time, noticing it and thinking, that's weird the way they're using hey like that. Now, of course, like all these American things, it's crept into New Zealand speech as well because the US culture, you know, with TV and everything is so pervasive. I don't mind that one so much. It's sort of like hi, isn't it? So if I sent you a text... Not that I have ever texted you, but if if I did and I said hi Tiffany, would that not would that annoy you less than saying hey Tiffany? Hey, the one that really interests me is when people write to you and they say greetings, and I've always thought it sounds like what you would say if you just got off a spaceship, or maybe if the aliens landed and they got off their spaceship, and you would expect them to say a greetings Earth creature. So when I get an email. And it starts off with greetings, full stop, or period, depending on what I think. That is very strange. The alternative, of course, is that you don't say any kind of greeting at all. I, I get this sometimes, and it always makes me think somebody's annoyed with me, which probably everybody is. But I get this email, and it will say, Jonathan, comma, and off they go, without any kind of salutation. Hello, or you know, anything, anything friendly at all. And so when I get an email like that, and it just says, Jonathan, and off it goes, I'm thinking, dude. Dude, I'm thinking, you should. what's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? Interesting how we react differently to these things, isn't it? Now, regarding Apple TV+, Plus, absolutely, definitely, it doesn't matter where the iPhone was purchased. If you had an iPhone that was purchased uh, after the announcement was made at their September event, you are entitled to the free year of Apple TV+. Plus. So if you've just purchased an iPhone and it's new, you just activated it, it doesn't matter where it came from, you are absolutely entitled to get that free year of Apple TV+. Plus. So there you go. Knock yourself out. Bonnie's very eager to watch the next episode of For All Mankind. Jonathan Mosen, Mosen at Large Peggy Kern is in the Twitter land and she says, as far as Christmas songs with stupid words, the one I laugh at is Little Saint Nick. Christmas comes this time each year. Gee, you think? Says Peggy. (laughs) Of course, there's that really crazy Beatles song that goes on and on and on that was never officially released until... It was on the B-side of Free as a Bird. It was part of the 1967 Christmas fan club record about Christmas time is here again, ain't been round since you know when. And then it says O-U-T spells out. That is also a very bizarre Christmas song. Maria Christick. Hello, Maria Christick. She says Lacey's 10th birthday. Wow, that went fast. Is on Tuesday. Now, your birthday, Maria, if I'm remembering right is the 2nd of June. I have to do the conversion because, um, of course, 6-2 in New Zealand would be the 6th of February, which is actually a holiday. And I remember this because it's in your Twitter name, isn't it? 6289. So I presume that means June the 2nd, 1989. Genius, I should put my birthday in my Twitter name and maybe I will get laden with gifts. <gasps> I have no gifts. Oh, no, that's not. I, our finest gifts we bring. Parapapampam. I agree with you, continues Maria, on name-only salutations, and always put in a greeting before the name because 
I find the name only salutation way too abrupt. I'm glad you agree with that, Maria. And happy birthday to Lacey, celebrating a decade of life and achievement. Bonnie's dog Eclipse is just such a happy machine. And she sometimes just stands by the bed in the morning when we start talking and she just wags and wags and wags her little tail off, hitting the bed in the process or the wall or whatever. I do wonder if it hurts them when they're just sitting there. I mean, it, it can't do because they just keep doing it. And she's sitting there wagging her tail and it's going yeah, all the time. So I was prompted to ask the machine why they do that. Why do they do that? I mean, because sometimes you learn that what you thought was true is in fact an urban myth. Soup drinker. Why do dogs wag their tail? Dogs wag their tails to communicate with people and other animals. A fast wag can signal happiness, excitement, or a friendly greeting. A quick wag can also indicate a level of anxiety, especially if the dog is in unfamiliar surroundings. Right, well, that's somewhat ambiguous, isn't it? Should I ask the other machine? Why do dogs wag their tail? Dogs usually wag their tails when they are happy or excited. Although different positions of a dog's tail may indicate other emotions such as submission, fear, or aggression. Tricky. Very ambiguous. Anyway, it's fun. And Eclipse, I'm sure she's wagging her tail because she's happy to hear us talking and she's happy to think that at some point in the near future, Bonnie will get up and feed her. That's a big thing that she could wag her tail and happiness about. Hello, Jonathan. It's Hello, Paul. You're really in Boulder, Colorado. Mm. Favorite gifts? Mm. Yes, lots of reflection. The fact that you'd have random holiday years that uh, some gift would appear that just really stood out. One year, it was actually around birthday time. My birthday's on the 10th, and then the holidays in, in any case. But this was a handheld electronic game back in 1978. It was discovered at one of the local candy stores. So your nice mom-and-pop store that had, you know, toys and things. This was a handheld battery-operated baseball game. Dude! And if you learned all of the sequences over a short period of time, and it was easily done, you could play this game, and it was great. You had beeps for the swinging of strikes in baseball. You had beeps for running around the bases, and the run tallies as runs were scored, and you could tell. Uh, you could hit a button, and there would be someone defending while someone was trying to score. And strikes and balls and home runs and base hits and different things. It was fantastic. Alas, as time went on, and I really suffered further hearing degradation, I could no longer hear the frequency of those beeps. But that was a wonderful game that lasted for years and years, a handheld 
baseball game that had lights on it for people to see and things like that, not necessarily any kind of graphics, but the beeps were great, and it was such an interesting interface that really worked well. A very fondly remembered gift from 41 years ago. Also, Simon was a good one. I could play Simon for a while, too, when I got Simon, but also lost the ability to decipher the beeps at the time. But that's how it goes. Uh. Reflective, memorable gifts are just always fun to this very day. Well, good on you, Paul. That's a great story. And I'm, I'm sorry that your hearing deteriorated to the point that you couldn't play those games that you loved. But that's an interesting topic. Those early games, some of them were... Well, you wouldn't call them accessible by today's standards, would you? But they were usable because the range of sounds that were available was so primitive and, and limited that you could memorize them if you really wanted to and knew what you were doing. We had a game once called Sportstronic or Sportstronics or something that connected to the back of your TV and made all these beeps and there were tennis games and various things like that. And they had little knobs that you turned on the console thing and there were there were no remotes or anything like that but you could play that on the tv and i did that simon of course was great there was another game that built on simon with a range of things i think it was called wizard or something and it had a music composer it had a thing that taught you how to play my old kentucky home on it it was all monophonic but simon was great and simon's come back in various forms hasn't it there was a braille and speak slash braille light version of simon um, it's on the phone, of course, if you want a Simon game, and it's a it's a fun game. And then Bop It. Over the years on the Mosin Explosion, we've uh, had various segments on all the different varieties of Bop It games. I remember we've got quite a collection here, and there is one, at least, Bop It game that has a headphone jack, and we connected it to the mixer at one point. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. And there was this Bop It download game that you can play, and it has a microphone, so you they have a shout it. Shout it! Rah! But then it gets to a level where it's impossible for a blind person to play because you have to do what the light says, not what the voice prompt says. And at one particular level, it gets to the point where the light is flashing differently from what the voice prompt is saying. Once it gets to that point, as a blind person, you are stupid, unfortunately. But eh, quite a few interesting mainstream games like that. More recently... I bought a Wii about 10 years ago because I did some consulting. It might have been even via this very program 10 years ago. And uh, the kids were younger and they wanted a games console. And I said, if we're going to do a games console, what's the most accessible one? And people said, get a Wii. And uh, I'm glad that they said that because I was playing Wii tennis and various other things. The Wii tennis game is fun. Yeah, it's quite a racket, actually. Don't be a bozo. So it's good when these things just happen to be accessible. Another gift that I remember from my childhood was a really cool horse racing game. And it was a very clever use of vinyl records. It was called The Racing Game, and you got a whole bunch of pretend money with it. And there were, I think, eight horses in each race. And there was um, a, a race on side A and a different race on side B with different horses. 
And so you had to use your play money to bet on who you wanted to win the race. And then when you put the record on, what would happen is there are a bunch of grooves on the LP because the race was only about a minute or two long. And that meant that they could put, I think, well, eight, I think, different versions of the race on the one side of the record. And it was just the luck of the draw where the needle dropped on the record, which race you got. So when I was playing with my friends, if I could clearly tell, I got to memorize all the races by playing it enough. And as soon as I could tell I had the wrong race, I'd just sort of quickly lift the needle and <laughs> try it again. Podcast. Andy says, I also agree about the name salutation thing. I also get emails that have my name and then a message with no greeting. How nice, lol, he says. Sarah Hillith says, well, Paul just made me feel old. That was the year I was born. Oh, there you go. Maria Christic says, it's actually February 6th. I used the non-American convention as a nod to being originally from Bosnia, where it is written in the day, month as well. Oh, well, I think in most of the world it is, except for Canada probably does the month first as well, I presume. So it is February the 6th. Well, your birthday is a holiday every year here in New Zealand, Maria. So there you go. Kathy Blackburn says, when I receive an email with... Hey, in the subject line, I delete it immediately. These messages never come from family or friends. They come from politicians. They haven't earned the right to address me that familiarly. Well, this is a very interesting topic that you raise, Kathy. I remember being quite affronted when I was a lot younger by little friends of my children coming around to our house and calling me by my first name. Because the way I was brought up, and I realized that things change over time, you never called, if you were a kid, you never called an adult by their first name unless you were invited to. And generally, if you were on sort of really familiar territory with an adult, you might be allowed to call them uncle or whatever. You know, we had quite a few family friends who would come over who we called uncle as a sort of matter of respect or whatever, because they're a little bit more familiar than Mr. or Mrs., but they weren't, you know, family. So we would, we would call them uncle. And people were just these, these, these little snotty four-year-olds or five-year-olds would come over and start calling me Jonathan. And I said to Amanda, what is up with this? It's disrespectful. And she said, I was being old-fashioned. So now I'm just used to it. And even in some schools here, Amanda's now teaching at uh, the School for the Blind or the, the, the service that provides education for the blind around the country. And uh, I, they asked me to speak to a group of students recently. And I said to Amanda, your name will, will come up probably. So what do I call you in front of your students? And just Amanda, she told me, they call their teachers by their first names now. Oh, my word, how the world moves on. I'm not sure whether it's for the better or not. My stepdad says Sarah, had a 78 like that about variations of the hare and the tortoise fable. The tortoise would race against various nursery rhyme characters. That's cool. I bet you enjoyed that. It's amazing what they can do. 
And pretty, pretty inventive stuff for the time. Pam Quinn is talking about strange Christmas songs. And she says, how about I found the brains of Santa Claus? As you can imagine from its title, I heard that one on Dr. Demento. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. All right, Pam. Thank you. Here's Michael Munn on the Jotty Old Email. He says, hi, Jonathan. I'm thinking of buying a mechanical keyboard. Can you suggest some brand that you had used in the past? Uh, well, uh, I've got a, I think it's called a Steel Series, and it's using Cherry Switches, but with mechanical keyboards, Michael, I would definitely recommend auditioning them. I think the way that something feels under your fingertips is a really personal thing. Also, some people like a different kind of click. They find that satisfying. I mean, one of the nice things about the mechanical keyboard, other than the travel and how good it feels to type on, is that satisfying click. We have a number of people in my office with mechanical keyboards, and it's quite noisy. Uh, luckily, I have my own office, but it, it's still kind of nice to hear people beavering away on their mechanical keyboards. Also, says Michael, have you noticed the keyboard on the Focus 45th generation is much harder than the keyboard on the fourth generation. He says, I use both the fourth and the fifth generation of Focus 40 Brow Display every time when I'm transferring or transitioning from fifth to fourth generation, my hand always shakes when brailing on the fourth generation. He says, that is all I have to say. Sounds like Forrest Gump. I guess you're right, Michael. I haven't really thought about it much, but there's no doubt that the fifth generation is quite different in a lot of ways. In my opinion, most of them better. The fifth is definitely an improvement over the fourth, but that's interesting. You should just tell whoever's responsible to get you another fourth generation, and then you'll be using uh, another fifth, rather, and then you'll be using fifth all the time. Brian Gaffey's got a good suggestion. He said, why don't we find the original German lyrics of Silent Night and back-translate them using all of these translators that are out there now. Microsoft has one, Google have one. And uh, back-translate it from the original German and see what you get. Because obviously the challenge is to make it rhyme, isn't it? Round yon virgin mother and child and then holy infant so tender and mild. It's probably nothing like that in the German because they have to make it rhyme in a different way. We might have some German speakers who can help us out with this and sort of try and tell us what what is that what what does that line actually translate to direct from the German. I can't get the hang of the little drummer boy either, says Brian Gaff. When it first came out, I thought it was a joke because where did the drummer boy actually appear in the original story? Very strange indeed. Yes, it's a bit of an adjunct, isn't it? Bit of an adjunct, the old little drummer boy. Now, Petra, on the other hand, she doesn't have quite the same downer on the little drummer boy as many of us. Good morning, Jonathan. Well, good afternoon, Petra, I think. Who says, she says, the baby wasn't already awake when the drummer boy wanted to play for him and Mary nodded her consent? I agree with tender and mild. It sounds like the way I like my steak. <laughs> Love your show. Thank you, Petra. Mosin at Large Podcast. Hey, Jonathan. This is Peggy Kern. Peggy. And Dan. And Kern. Dan. 
we just uh, listened to a real fun uh, re- uh, streaming CD called Sharon, Lois, and Bram's Family <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> Sharon, Lois, and Bram's Family Christmas. Sharon, Lois, and Bram are actually a family slash children's group, but they make their arrangements to appeal to adults, too. And a few of the songs struck me as something that might be fun uh, that some of the listeners might enjoy. One was their arrangement of the 12 Days of Christmas, where they actually do the items that uh, the true love gave to them in different languages, which is kind of fun. And another one uh, is there are four little songs, each about a minute long or less, just a few seconds long, from the Nutcracker uh, called A Winter Sweet. Um, They do uh, from the Overture, from the Dance of the Sugar Plum Plum Fairy, Waltz of the Flowers, and the Russian Dance, and they put fun words to them. So uh, I don't know if you can get hold of Sharon, Lois, and Bram's Family Christmas, or if that would be something fun that you think listeners might like to hear and smile at, but thought of you when we heard them, and we enjoyed listening to them. We're kids at heart. What can we say? So anyway, we'll be listening to the show tomorrow. Can't wait. Love it. Highlight of the weekend. Have a good day. weekend you too piggy and it's happening now that sounds cool thank you for the recommendation and i shall try and fossick around and check it out since i have a multiplicity of streaming services to choose from now and i will talk about that a little bit later all right says Cyrilis. i'm trying to understand the source of the ridiculousness in the in the line holy infant so tender and mild is it that infants are tender or mild, or is it, as Petra said, that it sounds like you're talking about a steak? I never found it weird somehow. Um, yes, it, as I said last week, it sounds like a rotisserie chicken, Sarah. <laughs> T- tender and mild. I think it's the combination of the two. So if, I, I mean, would you would you actually describe a child as a mild child? That sounds pretty cool. A wild, mild child. No, no, no. Would you describe a child as mild normally? I don't think you would, would you? You might describe them as tender. Mild seems out of place. But certainly when you put tender and mild together next to each other, it sounds like food. I'm glad other people get this. May Thompson says... Dawn worked in a school in London where the children called her by her first name. She says, I am listening to you on my Bose Quiet Comfort headphones. Ian told me about them. Oh, my word, he's a fountain of knowledge, isn't he? I bought them last week. Mm. I hope you're enjoying them, May. Are we sounding okay on your Bose Quiet Comfort headphones? And speaking of the man himself, here he is, popping right up on the Twitter. Ian Nagy says, you know what they say about great minds? I said to Stella that thing about the infant mild and tender reminding me of a steak, and immediately a tweet saying the same thing came up on the show. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not the only one who finds that line just absolutely ridiculous. Pam Quinn in sunny Iowa 
says, Hi, Jonathan and everyone. When I was teaching, I remember that some students who addressed the other teachers as Mr. or Mrs. and such would call me Pam. I thought at the time that since I was blind, they didn't feel like I was entitled to the same level of respect. I really feel, she says, that calling teachers by their first names, relaxing dress codes, etc., all contribute to respect in general going by the wayside. Of course, this is the point that uh, Kenneth Jernigan used to make. There was a very strict code in the NFB for as long as Kenneth Jernigan was around that you would call people, you know, your workmates at the National Centre and, and when referring to people at conventions, Mr. and Mrs., etc. And I believe the logic was that very thing, that um, you know, blind people are often disrespected. It's a little bit more relaxed now. Here's Steve Cadway who says, Hi, Jonathan, avoiding hay. No, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Canada is mixed concerning date format. He says, I believe officially we follow the majority of the world with day, month, year. But unfortunately, some companies, probably with US head offices and financial institutions, even though they're Canadian and in some cases have US locations, have adopted the month, day, year format. If you switch Windows and Office to English Canadian, dates appear in month, year format. And all this maple syrup comes pouring out the USB port. Oh, no, sorry. That's just me making that up. Should I tell you what happened to me? I've had an adventurous week. The Apple Watch cellular has not been available in New Zealand until the announcement was made about two weeks ago that one of our carriers was going to support it. And the reason why it hasn't been made available in New Zealand is because we didn't have a carrier that supported the eSIM one number system. We only have one carrier in New Zealand that introduced eSIM last year, and that was Spark. Now, so that I'm making sure everybody's keeping up, the idea of eSIM is that you have a virtual SIM, an electronic SIM on your phone. A SIM stands for Subscriber Identity Module, and it's what gives GSM-type phones their intelligence their personality it's what carries your phone number and other information about connecting to your carrier of choice and if you want to change carriers you have to get the little pokey pokey machine to poke the little tiny hole in your phone and little sim tray pops out and of course in iphones and most android devices now they're using these tiny nano sims and it's really easy to get them lost you have to swap them over And so Apple thought they might be able to save a little bit more width because they're obsessed with thinness by encouraging the industry to adopt eSIM technology. And you can now use eSIMs on phones starting with the iPhone XS line. And it's pretty cool because at the moment, the iPhones have a slot for your SIM plus an eSIM capability. And in China, actually, they have an iPhone special model there with two physical SIM slots. That's interesting. I wouldn't mind getting hold of that. You can have as many eSIMs on your iPhone as you like. That's the really cool thing. So if I was traveling to the United States and I wanted local service, what I would do is I'd use the T-Mobile app 
and get an eSIM from T-Mobile. And you can have one eSIM active at a time, but you can have as many eSIMs on your phone as you want and just switch between them as the need arises. It's pretty cool. And with all this in mind, and really wanting the cellular Apple Watch, I had a look at the plans that were offered by this carrier to see if I could switch so I could get the cellular Apple Watch. I've been holding on to my Series 3, waiting for this day, waiting for this glorious day when I could have the cellular Apple Watch. And when I looked at the plans, they just didn't work out for us. And the reason for that is that we had a really cool plan with Vodafone, the carrier that we've been on for the last four and a half years, which is about a record for me. I do a lot of churning of cellular carriers because I just go to where I want to go. I always buy my devices outright, and that leaves me free to go where the best deal is. But Vodafone gave us such a good deal. We actually have our two lines that share 22 gigs of data. And then, so Bonnie's iPhone and my iPhone. And then we have... Five other Sims sharing data. My laptop, Bonnie's laptop, my iPad, the Verizon uh, Horizon phone from Ira, and another one. So we've got five devices sharing the data as well, and it's really handy. When I talked to this carrier that's carrying the Apple Watch in New Zealand, Spark, they could not match it. And it's very unusual because normally I find if I call up and I say, I'm really keen to switch, but you need to give me this kind of a deal. Most people these days are pretty flexible. They've got the autonomy to do it, but nope, not in this case. All they could suggest was get on our unlimited plan, which like most of these Plans called Unlimited is not unlimited at all, and someone should ping them for this, because what they do is they give you 40 gigabytes of high-speed data, and then they slow you all the word on if you go over 40 gigs, and you have to pay a premium to be able to hotspot with that 40 gigs, so, you know... But um, I walked away, and I said, no, it's not worth it, I'll wait. And then I kept thinking, you know, I've been looking forward so much to the cellular Apple Watch. I thought, is there any way that I could do this? So earlier in the week, I looked at other carriers' offerings. I suddenly had a brainwave and thought, we don't have to have all our business with the one carrier. And I sat there with a spreadsheet and I did the numbers of how much it would cost us to do various permutations of carrier. And I finally came up with this really cool model where I would switch to Spark, the carrier that was carrying the Apple Watch, so I could get my watch and I'd go on the unlimited plan for my iPhone And then Bonnie would switch to another carrier called Two Degrees, where they have a very generous set of data offerings. Their data carries over for up to a year, which is really cool. What you don't use, it carries over. And you can share the data with up to five additional SIMs. Bingo! There's our shared data for all our data devices. So we were cooking, man. We were cooking. And then I decided, well, if I'm going to do this, I want Spark to give me an eSIM and that will leave my physical SIM slot free to sort of experiment with other carriers and do some geeky things. So I said to Richard, come with me, Richard, my boy, and we'll have lunch at the Green Man, which is a little pub by my work. And then we'll go into the Spark store together. So we did that on Gosh, it was only Thursday. It seems like so much longer ago. And it was very straightforward. I had some ID. I had been with Spark before, so I had an account number. It was all just humming along. And I said I wanted an eSIM. And they said that was no problem either. 
And then I said, so what process do you use at Spark to get the eSIM onto the phone? And they said, we use a QR code, which I was a bit disappointed about because I have seen implementations where you can just download the eSIM with an app. You know, there are lots of situations like this where you can just download the eSIM. It's really sweet. But no, in this case, it was a QR code. And so I said to the guy, ah, well, so this is going to be quite visual, isn't it? And he said, no, no. I said, surely you're going to have to scan the QR code. I mean, if you've got the QR code, it can't be on your phone because you've got to scan the QR code with your phone, right? So it has to be on some other device or printed out on a piece of paper. And he said, no, just tap the QR code, which, of course, in voiceover language would mean double tapping it. And I said, are you sure that I can do that? And he said, yeah. I'll send you an email with the QR code and you can just double tap it and it will install it. So we signed up and got the port underway. And then I said, okay, then. And I really wish I'd have tried it in the store, but I went back to my office. You know, time was a wasting, as they say. And when I had a spare moment, opened the email, double tapped on the QR code. And of course, a whole bunch of nothing happened. I tried triple tapping it, which is like, firm pressing these days and tried to copy the QR code and everything, but nothing would work. And I wasn't actually surprised because QR codes are barcodes. They're meant to be scanned. So then I called up Spark on their happy little number and I said, I am a blind person and the QR code is fundamentally inaccessible. You know, I could put it on my laptop screen and try and get it in the view of the camera and all this sort of stuff. But what was interesting was I asked one of my staff, to have a go at this for me and they couldn't get it working either and I've seen subsequently a number of sighted people having trouble scanning this code so I think it would have been a real amazing hit and miss if I'd have managed to get the code scanned off my laptop screen so I called up and I said look I know actually a little bit about iOS (laughs) and I know that I'm also able to enter the sim identifier in any security encryption key you have that QR code just contains that information. So since I'm blind and I'm having some difficulty with the QR code, if you could just give me those numbers, the information that the QR code contains, then I'll just type it in. You could email the data to me. And they said, no. I said, what? And they said, no, we we won't do that or we can't do that or something. If you really want help, you have to go back to a store. And I said, well, you know, the store's sort of a bit out of my way. I'm going to have to catch an Uber there. Uh, The guy misled me. Can't you be a bit more helpful? And they said, there's basically a whole bunch of nothing we can do. So after work, I trundled back into the Spark store and I explained the situation. And I said, what I'm really worried about, actually, is that we've got a port request in place. This is where you, you put in a request to move your phone number from your current carrier to your new one. And I said, since I don't have the eSIM active, if the number gets ported, and I am out and about somewhere trying to use IRA or GPS or make a call. You know, I'm going to be really up the creek because I'll have no service when the port goes through. So I said, why don't we do this? You allocate a temporary Spark phone number to the eSIM and set it up. And then that number will just disappear and be acquired by the Vodafone SIM, uh, Vodafone number that I'm porting when it goes through. I was a bit more articulate about it then. And they said, yeah, okay, we'll do that. And I said, now you're going to have to set the SIM up for me and scan it. So I think he ended up printing it out actually on a piece of paper. I mean, how sort of 
20th century is this. Uh, he printed it out on a piece of paper and then scanned it. And he had to have several goes, actually. And finally, he scanned it. And I did check. I went in and I could see that Spark was there as a secondary carrier. There was a second SIM in my phone. It had the Spark carrier settings and a Spark SIM identifier. So I thought, okay, we're rocking. He said it should be active shortly. So I went back. And then while I was in my Uber, which incidentally, my Uber just happened to be a BMW. Dude, the BMW. Dude. Yeah. I got this email. And it said, great thing. Things are happening, it said. Things are happening. Great news. Your service is now active. So I thought, that's great. And I looked at the status bar. And um, when you have two SIMs active, you have a status uh, cell for each SIM. And the Vodafone one was showing active. And the Spark one was still saying, no service, no signal. But I was not daunted by this because I know that often with a new SIM, you've got to restart the phone. So I powered the phone off, powered the phone back on while in the Uber, and still no service, no signal from the newly activated Spark service. I get home, and it's probably about 5.15 or 5.30, and I call the Spark customer line, and I explain that I'm supposed to have service by now, and I don't. And the woman's clicking away on the computer, and she said, ah, well, it looks like the guy hasn't closed the order properly, and he's gone home for the night. So here I was left with this dilemma again. If, if, the, if the port goes through, I'm going to lose my signal, and we don't have any landline. So I said, yeah, we've really got to try and fix this. And she was reasonably helpful. But in the end, she put me through to what they call their technical people. And I said, look, I've got a SIM. It's clearly a Spark SIM. Why don't we compare the SIM that I have? I can go into general about and show and read you the SIM number. And we can just check whether it's the same as the SIM number that you have in your system assigned to the line. She said, oh, that's a good idea. And I said, yes, it is, isn't it? So we did that. And then she said, oh, they're different. And she said, you'll need to visit a Spark store. And by this stage, I'd spent probably an hour on the phone troubleshooting with these dudes. And I said, you know, and I wasn't going to be able to get to a Spark store that closed anyway. And there was a real risk of the port going through, you see. So I said, look, I'm just going to have to cancel this. You need to contact Vodafone as well and get them to cancel the port. We just need to stop this because it's it's getting kind of serious and it's getting late. So I canceled the order and then I thought, OK, well, I've canceled now. So that's that. I'm just going to give up on these guys because they couldn't organize a booze up in a brewery. I was really annoyed. Waste of my time. But then I slept on it and I got up and I wrote a three-page letter of complaint <laughs> in which I summarized a, a lot of the detail. And um, and I talked about, you know, the other thing about this, and I'm sure that you've experienced this at some point in your life, you have to mention, you have to disclose that you're blind in a situation like this. And then as soon as they hear that, they start treating you like an idiot. And uh, I don't mean to sound sort of... Um, big-headed, but I actually quite object to people uh, treating me like an idiot when it comes to matters to do with iOS, and you sort of might understand this, because <laughs> there's a good chance I might know a little bit more than they do. <laughs> and so I um, I was amazed by the number of times they said, why don't you just rescan the QR code? And I'm like, haven't you been listening to me? It's, it's like they didn't understand what being blind meant, or they didn't believe me. Anyway, so I wrote all this down and talked about 
the really poor experience. Why can't they just download the eSIM in their app? They have a pretty nice iOS app. Why can't you just imagine how seamless it would be if you could sign up for service, you know, verify yourself uh, and then download the eSIM and just be good to go? I mean, how seamless would that be? Yeah, I put all this in a complaint and they got back to me actually really quickly and uh, I went to a different store. The store had been sort of primed to receive me and the woman there was just exceptionally thorough. And she said, I'm so sorry to keep you waiting, but I just want to make sure that we get this right. And I said, I don't mind waiting one bit if you get to do it correctly. And she installed the eSIM. She checked and double checked uh, the uh, correctness of the numbers. And then about two hours later, my Vodafone service stopped I rebooted the phone and the Spark service was there. It was just so seamless. And um, even though it was an accessibility challenge with the QR code they chose to use, the, the way that she handled it was exemplary. So I think it's also fair when you get good service like that, that you acknowledge that too. So I wrote not quite a three-page letter, but a letter saying, you know, this, this person's a valuable employee. They cared about the outcome. They cared about the customer experience. They took the time, and I'm really grateful that they, that they did. So now I'm on Spark with my unlimited data. Uh, Bonnie is ported to two degrees. That was uh, quite a bit uh, uh, less eventful. And I've got my, um, what is it? What's that? Mr. Stainless steel, 42 millimeter Apple Watch GPS with cellular series number five <coughs> ordered. What a mission. Podcast. Here's Aaron and he says, hey, Jonathan, <laughs> my most memorable gift is a 12-string 1940 Yamaha guitar that has been in my family for years. I remember notes being placed all around for me to find it. Oh, that's cool, having a bit of a treasure hunt involved. He says, I still have the guitar and play it all the time, and it's my primary instrument and goes out with me to practice on Wednesdays and church worship on Sundays. There you go. That sounds like a very precious memory and also... A very precious gift. So thank you so much for that. Hello, says Kay Stanley. Just wanted to let you and others know that I found the podcast easily in Downcast simply by searching for your name. Oh, how simple is that? Thank you very much, Kay. I hope that helps somebody. Mary Ellen Earls, the Duchess of Earls. Hi, Jonathan, she says. My most memorable gift happened in 1963. Like December back in 63. I had learned to play the guitar as well as Joan Baez. My heroes were a group called the Highwaymen. Oh, yes. And one of them, named Steve Trott, lived down the street from me. They had had several number one hits on the billboard. And Steve Trott actually taught me how to play guitar. Getting back to my gift, Steve brought his guitar over in a hard shell case with a soft velvet lining. Well, I told my family I wanted a case just like that one instead of the cardboard one I was carrying my instrument around in. On Christmas Eve, we all got together and my parents told me to walk straight for the tree. 
There, sitting in all its glory, was a hard-shell guitar case with a velvet lining. I felt as though I had finally arrived. Have a really cool Yule, says Mary Ellen. That is a really cool story. Same to you. Adam Morris in Australia says, Hi, Jonathan. I noticed in your last show you mentioned a um, GPS system. Does that mean it is a global positioning system system? If I said that in the context you're saying I did, then I deserve to be castigated. I hate that. Also, so many people say 7 a.m. in the morning. Yes, that's annoying, isn't it? When I ask them if they are sure it is in the morning, they don't know what I mean. Also, if someone is taking a bath or shower, where are they taking it to? That means if someone takes a shower before I do, then I can't since it's been taken. Keep up the great podcast, says Adam Morris. Well, that's an Americanism, isn't it? Taking a bath. American people say that, and that's just what they say. Taking a bath, taking a shower. And the other thing that they say in the South, because Bonnie says this, she says that she's fixing dinner. And I keep saying, well, why did you break dinner in the first place? But yeah, that means they I think that one, we couldn't call that so much a uh, grammatic pet peeve. I think it's just a legitimate linguistic point of difference. How's that for embracing diversity? Kelby Carlson, he says, Jonathan, I still... See, he does it. Jonathan, comma. (laughs) I still haven't migrated to iOS for much content creation because I have to do most of my work on a network drive that requires a computer. Not anymore, probably, Kelby, because you can connect iOS to network drives now. I do like to use it for taking notes on books that I'm reading. And for doing that, I purchased Voice Dream Writer, which seems to meet my needs well so far. What are the key differences between the apps that led you to choose Ulysses? Voice Dream Reader is a really great app, and what Winston does is awesome. Voice Dream Writer is good too. The reason why I rejected that as my primary content creation tool is quite simple. It won't open Word documents. It does have an experimental ability to save in Microsoft Word, and you can also save in RTF. But with Ulysses, I can start a document on my computer, and then when I'm out and about, just with my phone, if I want to keep working on that, I can import it into Ulysses, do some more work on it, export it, and open it again in Word, and so on and so forth. So that's the key reason. I also like the way that Ulysses structures its material where you can have groups. And if you're writing a a book with chapters or you're writing different sections of any report you might be doing, you can do it sheet by sheet and then glue the sheets together and all that kind of stuff. So it's a very versatile thing. But predominantly for me, the clincher was the ability to save and open Microsoft Word stuff as much as you like. David Harvey says, so glad the cellular Apple watch has arrived. However, Spark is very patchy in places where Vodafone and Two Degrees get service, such as where my dad lives. Well, every network has its weak spots. Uh, I can certainly point to some places where Two Degrees coverage is pretty dodgy. So 
I guess the important thing is to find where you're going to be and which network serves you best. It is where you're going to be in most cases. Hello, Stella. She says, hi, Jonathan. I was just wondering, will you be watching our UK election results coming in for you on Friday morning? Oh, my word, Stella, I would not be missing this for anything. I have to do a little bit of jiggling of things around. <laughs> yes, I'm really looking forward to it. I've been following the campaign. I watched the debate yesterday between Jeremy Corbyn and uh, Boris Johnson and, um, yeah, we've been watching all of those. I've been following the very interesting business with Boris Johnson, not uh, appearing with Andrew Neil when everybody else did. It's been an interesting campaign, and I am interested to see just how much traction disability issues get in the UK, which is quite encouraging. There was a uh, candidate the other day who was seeking to replace Amber Rudd as a Conservative MP in that constituency. And she made a comment about people with learning disabilities being paid less and that she didn't have a problem with that because people with learning disabilities didn't understand money. And she made this comment in a public forum. And there was all this argy-bargy from people who yelled and said that she was being outrageous. And it actually got quite a bit of newspaper and BBC coverage. So it's it's good to know that, I mean, it's it's sad that people feel that way, of course, but it's good to know that disability issues can actually gain that kind of traction in the UK. So, yes, I will be glued. It'll be 11 o'clock New Zealand time in the morning when that when that famous exit poll comes through and Big Ben chimes, but it won't be David Dimbleby this year on the B-Bullet. they got somebody new. Sky's coverage is looking pretty good this year. They've got John Burko. Order! And they'll ask him what he thinks of the uh, exit poll, and he says, he'll say, I don't give a flying flamingo. That's going to be fantastic. I, w- I would not miss this for anything, Stella. I'm really excited about it. I presume you'll be watching it too. Uh, here is uh, Dan Fry, and he says, Dear Jonathan, he says, In terms of salutations, I've always been reluctant to use them for fear of presuming to assume an intimacy that people might not be comfortable with my assuming. I've always been especially nervous about addressing people, particularly those with whom I'm not close, as dear. I recognise that it is generally not understood to have such a meaning, but I always worry about what may seem too presumptuous a level of relation. Unrelated. You're right about Dr. Jernigan's last name policy and his rationale for the same. In fact, I was on the NFB's national staff on January the 1st, 2006, when Dr. Mara abruptly ended the policy and we transitioned to first names. We were told on the Friday afternoon before that, on the next Monday, we'd be abandoning this practice to become more current with the cultural norms. But personally, while I recognise that it seemed exceedingly formal and subjected us to some degree of ridicule from those unfamiliar with the context and reason for the policy, I privately missed the practice. And there were a few on the maintenance staff and a couple of older staff members who really had a hard time with the shift and specifically asked us to retain the practice and, out of respect for their wishes, I honoured this, mostly, I think, 
People are entitled to be called what they'd like to be called. Hmm. What's that old saying about you can call me anything you like as long as it's not late for dinner? Mosin at Large Podcast. Hey, singing me jigs. <laughs> it's Jonathan and Bonnie singing me jigs. <laughs> it's Jonathan and Bonnie singing me jigs. <laughs> it's Jonathan and Bonnie singing me jigs. <laughs> It's Jonathan and Bonnie, la 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 Whoa, how could we possibly not have a brilliant Bonnie Bulletin after a brilliant intro piece of music like that? It's time for another festive Bonnie Bulletin. Groping the mic is Bonnie Mosin. Hello. How's it going, man? Good. Yeah. Outside. Are you having a cool Yule? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did the Christmas party go? It went, I've had two this week. One oh, my the, word. The you are on the circuit. I know. One was the children's party Thursday night. It was really good. It went like clockwork. Um, there was 100 guests, about 42 children, Man. I think. Wow. And um, the food was fantastic. And we tried to cram a lot into a couple of hours. So having to move people along. and But it, it really went like clockwork. This was my first one. And um, just the I'm just the, playing with the fader for the bunny music. Oh, okay. Yeah. The staff um, from Blinds and the Blind Foundation did an incredible job pulling it off. So mm. it was really, um, really great. The families enjoyed it. The kids enjoyed it. Um, Eclipse enjoyed it. And um, yeah, it was really, really good. So that's a good effect. I could just have the music come on every time I talk and then have it stop when I stop. Okay. Yeah, it's quite a cool effect then. <laughs> okay. So. Did they like Santa? One of the kids was kind of scared of Santa, but oh, no. most of them really did. Yeah. Mm. And they always tell us what present they want to get for the kids. And so Santa gives them a present. And if they want the siblings to have presents, they bring those with them. That's fair enough. Yeah. So, um, yeah, very, very nice and very good food. A lot of leftovers on Friday which the rest of the staff were thrilled about. So, um, yeah, can't beat the Christmas party leftovers. No. Oh, no, the music's fading out now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got the tile sticker now in our house. Mm-hmm. A four pack of tile stickers. Brian Gaff has written in about the tiles. He says that the app is not very accessible to him. He's having trouble signing up. And uh, this is sometimes what happens with iOS apps where he says he's having difficulty uh, entering text into certain fields in the sign-up form. And I've seen this with some apps before. What you might like to do, Brian, is see if you can sign up on the websites with your screen reader. Uh, That may work. And once you've done that, you should be able to log in with the same accounts. But it's worth doing. And I now have a tile sticker on my AirPods Pro case and a tile sticker on a little remote control that I use for my hearing aid. They're a little bit fatter than I was hoping they would be, and I think that's going to be the big competitive advantage if Apple can crack this, a nice little thin thing that you can attach to things. But, boy, they're super adhesive. When you stick them on, they really stick on, man. you can't take them off easily. I I guess you'd have to pull pretty hard. But it's a cool concept, and it's kind of like when you were a kid, did you used to remember phone numbers? Some of them, not not all the time. So how how would you would you write them down? Or? Mm-hmm. Interesting. 
I've got a memory still for for phone numbers from when I was a kid. I'm I still remember some of them. Yeah, full of phone numbers of people, radio stations, businesses that I'd hear on the radio. And these days, you know, I don't really remember that many phone numbers. And I think this it's going to be like this with tiles. Now you can sort of offload from your brain where you last put things because you can just attach a tile to them. Which is kind of a relief, really. Mm-hmm. Then you can find things. Yes, and when you ask, where did you last have it when I've lost something? Which is probably the most, the world's most infuriating. No, I was talking to some women about it. Ah, uh, yes, and what did the women say? They agreed with me. Well, of course they would. Because they said, of course, it's a good question. It's not a good question. If you knew where you had it last, you'd... You, you are would... backtracing your steps. But you're already doing that, aren't you? I mean, you're already thinking about that. You... That's well. the police would ask you that question. Where did you see it last? If I disappeared, they would ask, come and ask you, where did you last see her? Oh, that's, compl- I mean, that's, com- that's a completely different scale, dude, from losing a... And if you lost your temper with the cops, they would arrest you under suspicion. But this is just a completely nebulous argument. I mean, we're talking... It's a, it's a whole different... Ball of wax from when you lose a person versus just losing an object in your house or whatever, and you and you don't know where you had it. I mean, but you had to think, where did I last have it? <sighs> did I have it when I left? Did I have it when? Example, mm. when I didn't have my work badge the other day, I thought, okay, where was the last place I had it? I know mm. I had it when I got home. But I think that anyway. Well, I mean, good. everybody. Well, I'm glad you think. Everybody that. thinks that. You just don't want to but be asked about it. <laughs> It's infuriating. Well, <laughs> just go to your own infuriating room <laughs> with the puppies and the rabbits and stuff. Mm. Want anything for Christmas this year? Um, I can't really think of anything. It's a thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I'm sure. I mean, I, I wanted that Microsoft book about the formatting. Of the oh, yes. Yes. From NBP. We we have ordered for you, and you, you insisted on it being in hard yes. copy braille. The formatting word documents. Mm-hmm. Why does it need to be in hard copy braille? Because I'm visual learner and I like to see it, and that seeing with my fingers is my way of seeing it. What will be the difference between that and putting it on in the book reader bit of your Focus Forty Blue Fifth Generation well, rockin' if, braille display? Because it's easier to just flick through it if I want to know about. Say, I don't know, margins or something. I can just flick to the part about margins, do it, and be gone. But couldn't you do an F chord for search you and type could, the word margins? But, I mean, it, it's Chris and I were talking about this yesterday, and she's the same way. It's just it's a learning style, and I'm a more visual learner than auditory. Well, I suppose you're not alone because NBP used to buy the rights to iOS without the I, and people would buy the hard copy. Mm-hmm. So I guess there are others like you who... Particularly for informational material. I mean, if it was a novel, that would be, you know, different. But even now with Salesforce, which is our case management software, I have the instructions, but I've learned more from one of my coworkers coming over, looking at my screen, telling me what's there. And I say, where do I need to go to do this? Well, if you scrolled up, no, just tell me what I'm looking for. And then I find feature on jaws and type in whatever it is and and i get it i get it more from that than 
looking at the or listening to the instructions. So that's just my learning style. Well, I wonder how long it will take for your Braille book from the NBP to arrive. I don't know. Mm. Sometimes they're faster than you think. I mean, we got the holiday catalog quickly, Mm. so, yeah. Isn't it it one of your ambitions to be the anchor for NBP News? (laughs) Oh, and one thing we also haven't mentioned is that um, I've been assembling – uh, getting getting set up a new iPhone 8 for my mum. Yeah. It was interesting going back to a phone with a home button again. <sighs> Try my work phone. Setting that up. You've got, really yeah, you've got an iPhone 8, haven't you? I do, and I get really – yesterday I got confused, and I was like, wait a minute, how do I use Siri? <laughs> terrible. <laughs> it is interesting how quickly you adapt, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I must say, though, that using the iPhone 8, I really – did enjoy having Touch ID back. I won't be at all sad if Touch ID comes back. Yeah, Face ID is fine. I don't have any difficulty with it all, but I, it, it is, it's quite nice to have the phone in your pocket and unlock <clears throat> it with Touch yeah, ID. Yeah, I do that with my work phone. I just touch it and it unlocks. Now, people will remember the argy-bargy with the headphone jack a while ago, all the way back with iPhone 7. And I said at the time, you mark my words, one day they'll take it all away. And there is a pretty highly regarded analyst who tends to be on the money. In fact, he was the same analyst who who leaked the disappearance of the headphone jack Mm -hmm. coming up. So he's got a pretty good track record. And he is saying that one of the iPhones in 2021, the iPhone top model is going to come out with no ports at all. No lightning port. You know, people thought that there might be a switch to USB-C, but instead this analyst is suggesting Apple's considering no ports at all. So you'd have to charge wirelessly. You wouldn't be able to connect any accessory that's wired to it at all. I personally think that's unlikely because I just don't think wireless is there yet. You know, you've got a maximum of 10 watts on the iPhone versus 18 when you're connecting it with the new charging brick that's supplied with the 11 Pro Max. So you can get 50% charge in half an hour now on your iPhone. People aren't going to want to give that up. Um, and and also there are other microphones and other accessories. If you're going to try and do that on a professional model, the professionals will be upset because they use that port for more than charging. Yeah. So I'm not sure, but I wonder how people would react. I wouldn't if be not- very happy. No. It's ridiculous because half – a lot of – I mean, the wireless charging is okay, but a lot of times it doesn't work. I mean, it's it's the phone either moves at some point or, you know, the connection. I don't know. It's just not the best. It is easy to kind of knock it off mm-hmm. the charger if you've got a bit of clutter there. I'm, I've enjoyed – I used a wireless charger for a couple of years, but when the charging brick came out with the phone that gives you such quick charging, I really do like that. It's so handy to get a really quick charge and though you've got lots of juice, although the 11 Pro Max doesn't need a lot of charging. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody. Oh, you're getting rid of me now, are you? Well, I got to go to oh, I town. See. I want to get back because I don't know what the weather's going to do. Right, right. Jonathan Mosin. Mosin at Large Podcast. Huh, this can't be oh gosh i hope i'm not i'm not making fun of somebody but uh here's somebody called logan srun i think that's got to be a pun and if it isn't i'm so sorry uh, but that's just too good to be true <laughs> hello jonathan i love your show could you tell me if pro tools is accessible with jaws i think so but i haven't tried it myself 
Pro Tools is generally a Mac thing. And I know they've done quite a lot of work with Mac users on that. I think the relationship has been a bit tempestuous over the years. And I don't know how things are with the Mac at the moment with Pro Tools. But I do seem to recall there's some sort of special thing package you can get for Pro Tools. If somebody has more firm knowledge of this than I do, then please feel free to chime in on the accessibility of Pro Tools for Windows. I'm also going to bomb out on this question. He says also, do you know of an accessible drum machine? Well, I don't, except except for doing a bit of the old beatboxing. <laughs> um, somebody might be able to tell us about an accessible drum machine as well. Thanks for your email, Logan. Here's Francisco. He says, hello, Jonathan. Thanks for doing the Mosin at large every week. For some of us, it is the only way to access the very interesting content that goes on air on Mushroom FM. I would like to ask you a question that I think you may know the answer to since Bonnie is living in New Zealand with you. Oh, good. I'm glad. I wondered who that was in here. Uh, how do you watch US TV from abroad? I bought your book on how to deal with VPN and DNS services, and it is helpful, but I haven't found a service that can stream US cable content that is accessible and provides the audio description tracks when available. Uh, well, Francisco, I, I think I'm going to largely bomb out on this one as well, because we've concluded there's not a lot of US TV worth watching. <laughs> we have Sirius XM, and that gives us access to MSNBC, because I could, well, I could get the Rachel Maddow podcast. Um, right, but MSNBC and CNN, it's going to be fantastic with uh, primary year and election year coming up. We'll be glued to that. That's what I care about. We did for a brief period use Hulu. It was kind of hit and miss from an accessibility perspective. But Hulu's getting a bit smarter about these things. And after a while, they require you for the live TV service, at least, to have your location switched on. So being able to get through the geo-blocking at a DNS level isn't sufficient because they will check your location. I think they don't do that with just the on-demand Hulu, but I don't think Hulu does audio description. I'm sure there'll be lots of Americans who can tell me about that. Uh, with Netflix and uh, other other content, really, we, we just haven't had a compelling need. It's possible you could do it with DirecTV now or one of those things, but I, but I don't actually know. It's not something we've felt the need to do. When we watch TV, it's mainly the streaming services now, Netflix, and Apple TV Plus, and when we're away for the holidays, you know, because it's just so busy during the week for us, we're both working full time. But when we have our break, I do intend to activate my seven day trial of Disney Plus, which has become available in New Zealand now, and give that a go. So that's another one. And of course, there's Amazon Prime, which has over 1,200, I think now, audio described titles. And so it's no wonder that TV is struggling, isn't it? There's just so much content that's out there now by other means. But if anybody has any recommendations in terms of what internet-based service is accessible and offers audio-described content, 
from the American TV networks. Let's start there, and I guess then we can think about the geo-blocking. Ian says, was there not a film called Logan's Run? That's exactly right, and that's why I think Logan Run may be a pun. I am hoping that that is the case, otherwise I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm thinking it may, may, may be a pseudonym. pseudonym. Logan's Run was a TV show, actually. And I remember watching it. It was all about, it was set, I think, in the 21st century, wasn't it? Or, 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 anyway, and the idea was that you were killed off when you got to 31. And so the only thing you could do was make a run for it to what they called sanctuary. I remember that much. Soup drinker, tell me about Logan's Run. Originally based on a book by William F. Nolan, oh. Logan's Run is a 1976 action movie starring Michael York, movie. Jenny Agutter, and Richard Jordan. An idyllic science fiction future has one major drawback, life must end at the age of 30. The film is 1 hour and 59 minutes long. The movie has a rating of 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb based on around 49,000 votes, and is rated TVMA. I'm sure I saw a TV series of it. Well, I might be getting old or something. Anyway, I didn't realize it was a book either, so I shall go and hunt out the book. One of the things that I saw on Twitter the other day that got me thinking, got me grumpy, was a tweet from Sir Paul himself, Sir Paul McCartney, and he was talking about ending the decade. So he's one of these people that thinks that the decade is about to end because we're coming up to the end of 2019. Can I just say he is totally... Dude! No, 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 I mean he is totally wrong. Wrong! Wrong! It infuriates me. It's not the end of the decade in the end of 2019. It's the end of the decade at the end of 2020. Why? Because you don't start counting from zero. This is the mess that we got into in 2000. When there are all these celebrations at New Year's Eve 1999 going into 2000, and then there was a worldwide coverage in 24 hours of it and stuff, and yet for the dawn of the real new millennium, there was barely a thing. It's the only time I think I can say I actually agreed with Fidel Castro about something who was laughing. He did a media statement. He was laughing at the Western world and saying, how stupid are you people when you're celebrating the millennium a year early? And I do wonder, in fact, I think it was in a um, a science fiction book I read where uh, further, many years from now, people looked back and wondered why the human race celebrated the millennium a year early. And we're, we're doing it again. There are people who are saying the decade is ending a year earlier than it is. For goodness sake, are we so inept with mathematics that we can't get that you don't start counting years from zero? Oi. In other news, I see that Twitter got into a little bit of a pickle recently because they made an announcement that they were going to free up usernames. So if you always wanted that username on Twitter and you noted that the person who had the username sent one tweet in about 2007, then the idea was this was going to be your lucky time because they were going to go through and delete accounts that hadn't been logged into for over six months and free up the usernames. And I think they clarified this by saying, oh, actually, we're only going to do this in the EU to begin with and we'll look further afield eventually. 
But then something interesting happened. A lot of people said, but hang on, we have deceased loved ones who can't obviously log on to their Twitter accounts anymore. And it's a comfort to us to have their Twitter accounts. And we look through their old tweets and there's no way to download someone else's complete set of tweets. You can log in and download your entire Twitter archive. Gee, that'd be scary. Your entire Twitter archive. But you can't download the full set of tweets of anyone else and keep them somewhere. And Facebook, to its credit, does have a system for memorializing Facebook accounts when someone is deceased. Twitter has apparently not given this any thought. And there was quite a bit of a backlash and somebody started a petition and a service that tried to fill the void and memorialize Twitter accounts. And in the end, Twitter said, oh, sorry, doesn't look like we've thought this particularly well through. So they've put the whole plan on hold pending decisions about what to do with the Twitter accounts of deceased people. Mosin at Large Podcast. Jonathan, Nick Zamorelli here. As you approach the end of your show, I've got a beauty of a Bixby bug to tell you a about. A beauty Bixby for this iteration. updated a few days ago. And they have a feature where if you're using the Samsung keyboard, you can... Uh, press the Bixby button, open the keyboard and press the Bixby button and then dictate messages and emails and so forth. Uh, and I use that quite a bit. Now, what's going on with the update is that when you press the Bixby button, you're getting an, uh, a spoken message from your speech synthesizer, whichever one you happen to be using, in my case, the Samsung Voice Assistant, that tells you that voice dictation is on and it's giving you a whole bunch of other unnecessary information and all of it, all of it, jumbled though it may be, is <laughs> copied yeah. into whatever you're trying to compose. So I talked to Samsung Bixby Help about this. Uh, they're going to hopefully do their best to remedy it. In the meantime, they've asked me to go uh, to the Samsung website and go into Samsung community and post on the forum. I know you have obviously mostly iPhone and voiceover users, but in case you have anybody besides me who's using a later Galaxy phone with Samsung Voice Assistant and Bixby, beware of this bug. Hopefully they fix it quick. Thank you, Nick, for the PSA. Hopefully you might save somebody some bother. I um, don't know whether you can prevent the update from taking place or whatever. Shameless self-promotion. If you want to vote for this song in the countdown, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be at all opposed to getting it on the chart again. Who knows if it'll even get in the top 100, but, uh, you know. Okay, Google. Yeah. Take me to the pub. Oh, tremendous. The pub is 13 minutes from your location by car and light traffic. I want the Google driving car for Christmas. Only the Google driving car will do. I don't like the bus. I can't stand the train. Cause sometimes public transportation really is a pain. I want the Google driving car for Christmas. My car can take my children to the zoo. I thought I might like to ride a racing bike. 
But I got too close to a car that snapped my cane in two I can see me now one Christmas morning Checking out the tree And I'd find that Santa's elf Brought a car that drives itself It would drive down to the pub with me I want a Google driving car for Christmas Only a Google driving car will do don't want a droid or geeky Google glasses. I only like Google driving casses and Google driving casses like me too. I drive to the store when I get the urge instead of 3 a.m. so I avoid the Uber surge. watch a drive-in movie and when we arrived I'd make sure that from now on they were audio described I can see me now on Christmas morning checking out the tree and I'd find that Santa's elf brought a car that drives itself it would drive down to the pub with me I want a Google driving car for Christmas Only a Google driving car will do I don't want a droid or geeky Google glasses I only like Google driving casses And Google driving casses like me too There you go, you can vote for it if you want to That's me with I want the Google driving car for Christmas, which did make number one in our countdown two years ago. Much to my shock, I put that song together in 2013 and it went to number one in the countdown in 2017. No matter what you vote for, do cast your vote. It's going to be a lot of fun. And the more votes we get, the more representative it is of the audience. So all you do is head on over to mushroomfm.com slash countdown 2019. Why not vote now before the Christmas season gets crazy? mushroomfm.com slash countdown 2019 it's a really simple process to vote for your top 10 holiday songs you'll also get an invitation to our christmas party and then we'll be good to go on the 22nd and because i will be doing a lot of preparation after the mosin explosion of the 21st next week will be the last mosin at large podcast of 2019 i'm going to take a nice long break over the summer here in new zealand and we will be back in late january so one more episode to go before a break but you can keep up with me on mushroom fm at least until the new year and do cast those votes mushroomfm.com slash countdown 2019 that wraps up this edition of the Mosin at Large podcast. Don't forget to cast your vote in our top 100 countdown. You only need to vote for 10 songs. MushroomFM.com slash Countdown 2019. Why not do it now? Jonathan at MushroomFM.com if you want to be in touch. Or 864-60-MOSIN. Mosin.